the correct answer here is, you know, cannibalism. And he's eating <laughs> his own essence. Hello, I'm Justin. I'm Mark. We're the J-Pops. And we are attempting parenting in Japan. Today we're going to talk about the 100 days ceremony for Japanese babies, but first, the updates. So, Mark, tell us about old Koda. Koda is seven weeks old. That's how old he is right now, and he's doing great. He's a happy little baby. He's pooping on all of us all the time, whenever Mm -hmm. he can. It's like a game for him, I think, at this point. Like, we're changing a diaper and we're just, like, expecting an extra fire coming out. (laughs) (laughs) He keeps one uh, in the chamber at all times, eh? Yeah. Today, he's gotten both of us with an extra poop. (laughs) Oh, goodness. (laughs) But it's never a lot. It's always just a bit. So it's not too bad. We've also got his his grandma staying with us this week, which is pretty great, actually. Yeah. I understand why you guys stayed with the in-laws in that first month because mm-hmm. it's a lot of help having an extra set of hands around just to like yeah. let you go to the bathroom or do something or like I have to run outside and weed really quick. You're like, oh, I have these tasks now that I can accomplish. <laughs> it is surprising. I mean, if you imagine being busy sort of round the clock and then one extra person comes in and can make a whole meal or can take over one feeding, uh, it's a game changer for your whole day. It's like you've just gained hours from that one person swooping in. And um, I was a little bit leery at first, like anybody would be, I think, if you said, oh, yeah, go live with your in-laws for three weeks or a month mm. or whatever it was. You would think like, oh, a lot of you know run-ins with I want to be doing this, but I can't and got to worry about the right. other people's schedule. But all of that was washed away for me. I didn't care about it at all. It was just so helpful and so yeah. like overwhelmingly relaxing to have somebody else be willing to to take over. And we had like two somebody else's. Yeah. So it was it was wonderful. I recommend that to anybody who's like on the fence about the Japanese tradition there. I would say just go for it. You will appreciate it more than you'll worry about anything else. I was definitely in the other camp of I didn't think it was a good idea. Mm-hmm. But now I'm wishing we had that. <laughs> yeah because i understand how helpful that really is especially just you gotta carry the kid around all the time you gotta like hold him and do stuff and then it just makes life so much easier absolutely full endorsement from me i wanted to say as well uh nico's um 14 weeks which is you know three months and a week or so uh mm. now and we had a similar experience this week you and i in that we both had a two-year-old come into the midst uh, of yes. our baby raising. Uh, my wife's high school friend came in from out of town and they have a, a daughter who just turned two. And it was amazing to see the difference between a three-month-old and a two-year-old and what is required of you to take care of the two-year-old. And it's like the ghost of Christmas future. And this was an interesting uh, background. Uh, mm. They live in Australia, so the two-year-old's Australian. Nice. The mother is uh, fully Japanese. The father is fully Indian, uh, hmm. but he, uh, in his younger days, moved from India to Australia. So cool. they've got a fully Indian father, fully Japanese mother, raising a fully Australian baby. And um, they were back in Japan for a little vacation. So do they? does their house communicate mainly in English? 
Yeah, the father has never really lived in Japan and doesn't have much Japanese under his belt. So okay. uh, the mother alone tries to get the Japanese in and the child oh, understands yeah. the Japanese. So that's good. But uh, basically it all happens in English in the house. So in their house, they've got three English speakers, one with an Indian accent, one with a Japanese accent. And I assume their kid's going to have an Australian accent then. Yeah, probably. Oh, uh, that's the, pretty great. <laughs> yeah. The father is the most amazing guy to talk to because he comes from, you know, say his, the first half of his life, uh, he was speaking English in India. So he's perfectly fluent in English, but with the Indian accent. But then the next half of his life was in Australia. And so his accent is right oh. down the middle, half oh, Indianism, half Australianism, and it's wonderful to listen to. Uh, it's just amazing. Yeah, that must sound great. <laughs> yeah. So then uh, you've got the um, the child, and I, I've always heard the kids sort of pick up the accent of their friends or their school or something. Yeah. I had a friend once who was, uh, father was American, mother was from New Zealand, and she lived in New Zealand. And uh, mm. I had no idea that her father was American until I learned it later because her accent was just fully New Zealander. You know, she picked hmm. it up from her environment, but she could do a good American impression for sure. I feel like everybody does a good American impression. Like we're yeah. the only ones that really suck at doing other impressions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this could be American bias, but I feel like you just strip away all intonation and all... Uh, <laughs> Like the interesting ups and downs and the flow of a language, and you're left with American. You're left with American. That's what you've got. More to the point of raising the kids, um, we spent a lot of time with the two-year-old, and I realized, oh God, a two-year-old is mobile, two-year-old can climb, two-year-old yeah. can use their hands to manipulate things, and two-year-old can make oh, requests. God. It can use tools. <laughs> it's learning to use tools. It's self-aware. And like the skills that you need and the attention that you have to pay to the kid in terms of being right. like on high alert, because the kid could, you know, 30 seconds of looking away from that kid and you don't know what's going on. Yeah. 30 seconds of looking away from an infant and you know what's happening exactly. They're still laying there, you know? So yeah. it was night and day. Our friends came over today with their two-year-old and... You turn around for one second and we're having a conversation. And then I turn my head and I'm like, oh, he's over there now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's feeding the dog now. <laughs> and, no, no. He's uh, chasing the dog. <laughs> yeah, chasing the dog. Uh, I had one moment where um, we had a lot of people in the house because a lot of friends had come in from out of town to all meet up and hang out. And they came over to our house for one evening and I had Nico on my lap, three month old. And then the two year old had snuck around. I mean, this child's in my lap. He's a foot away from my face, but I was mm -hmm. making eye contact with another adult and talking to that person. And then I looked down and the two year old had snuck around the table and was stuffing popcorn into Nico's mouth. <laughs> Just straight up feeding him popcorn. And uh, I was like, oh my. Uh, but then I, I looked down and uh, the kid was still holding onto the popcorn and pulled it out. And then there was no more. There weren't any errant kernels still kicking uh -huh. around. So uh, crisis averted. But Nico was like licking his lips and wide eyed. And like, what? what is salt? You know, he was just You've been keeping away. the world from me, dad. Yeah. yeah what is this? Uh but I really appreciated having a two-year-old around because you gain a kind of respect for how tough your small baby is. 
the two-year-old, mm. like with a parent, the parent's always going to be a bit like sweet and delicate and cushiony with the baby. But a two-year-old has no such qualms. The two-year-old will get in there and prod and squeeze his cheeks and shout in right. his face, stuff popcorn <laughs> into his mouth. And then the baby, you realize, oh, he never cried once. Um, nothing bad happened. It was totally fine. Nice. It's good to see your infant baby that you think is like 100% delicate then have kind of a trial by fire. And you're like, oh, he's actually pretty tough. Nothing yep. gets to him. He's, he's doing well. I think the two-year-old that visited us was much nicer. Oh, he wasn't, yeah. he wasn't <laughs> poking or trying to stuff anything in, in Coda's mouth. So that yeah. was, that was a much easier experience. Although it was only for two hours. So I imagine if it was over a couple days, there was, there probably would have been more incidents. Yeah. A lot of opportunity. It was a girl. I don't know if this makes much difference, but uh, there was kind of a vibe of like, she was like, look at this cute baby. And she was, uh, you know, nice. loving the baby aspect. I don't know if the wild little boy you guys had was so uh, baby obsessed. Uh, he was interested. I wouldn't say obsessed. It was a very cute, uh, sweet little relationship that they had, but it nice. did lead to a lot of attention, you know, from the two-year-old to the three-month-old. Hmm. And I learned things like um, a two-year-old can climb up the side of the crib and the crib won't flip over. Oh, good to know. It was very uh, edifying. (laughs) But anyway, I appreciate it. I really did. It was just good to see the kid, you know. I feel like he's not even toughening up, but you're just seeing kind of what he can withstand. And you you know, realize that it goes a lot deeper than you might have thought. I always like having another kid around here because then I can see how unsafe my house really is. It's like a test before my kid gets there. It's like, Oh, okay. That kid ran into that. I'll fix that later. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, you know, like half of the walls in this house are just paper doors. And we somehow managed to get away without any massive holes in those, but there were a few like headlong falls into the paper doors Wow. Uh, we'll be moving out of here before that becomes an issue. We have the the same, but we don't have as many as you. And I'm always curious if, you know, when Coda gets to crayon age, if he's going to mm-hmm. look at those doors like they're just something for him to draw on. Yeah. <laughs> Big sheet of paper. Yeah. I'm going to have lots of doodles. Yeah. <laughs> I might just let him do it. I think maybe I'll just say like, okay, this is your door. Go to town. I've heard... Um... People say, people who grew up with this, uh, you know, there's that sort of paint that you can put on that acts like a whiteboard, or you might do one oh, wall yeah. as a chalkboard or something. Um, I've always heard positive reviews from people who had that, that they really liked to kind of go out there and in their own room, you know, and just decorate it up and to feel free to do it. So yeah. I would like to do that. I don't know if that sort of stuff is available easily in Japan. It is. I have already looked at it, actually. It's like the paint chalkboard for the walls you can get it at the home center oh okay cool yeah that's high on my list of things to do it feels like you give your kids so much freedom to decorate a bit and you know Mm. uh, experiment with that kind of thing before we move on into our segment time i did have a couple of retractions it's that time again where old justin's screwed up he's got to (laughs) make some retractions retraction number one I said a few episodes back when we were talking about home visits and doctor's visits and everything, I said that home visits were coming fast and furious, like a one month, a three month, a six month, a one year, and and so on and so on. I had mixed that up with actual doctor's appointments. And I believe now that the home visit was a one-time thing. These are doctor's checkups that are scheduled for us. 
And of course, okay. those will be different in different regions. But anyway, um, we've got doctor's appointments like clockwork, but not necessarily home visits from the city. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think I had uh, kind of thought that maybe your city did it different because I knew we only have one home visit. And that was the one month. We were right there with you on that. Uh, the second retraction that I have, this one goes way back. I mean, you're going to have to go back to the early single digit episodes months and months ago. Man. And of course, it's about the Honda Freed. Um, <laughs> I remember I already retracted this once, but I just it dawned on me why I made this mistake. And I thought it was kind of interesting. When I was buying the Honda Freed, I asked about Honda vans because the Honda Freed is technically a station wagon. Right. And I, I asked the guy at the dealership, so is there a Honda van? If this isn't a van, then what's your van? And he said like, uh, oh, yeah, there's a Honda van that's a uh, it's a K car. We have the K van. Right. And I was like, OK, yeah, I know the Honda van that's a K van, but what's like the full sized Honda van? And he was like, no, 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 it's just the K van is our only van. So I walked away thinking Honda makes no full-sized van. But then Uh, as soon as I was on the road, I saw like eight different makes and models of Honda van. And I realized it just dawned on me months later uh, that the Honda van is called the van, you know, the K, the K van. Oh yeah, yeah. It's called the van, the van. So when I, when I asked him about the van, he was like, yeah, yeah, we got a van, but it's a K car. (laughs) <laughs> I was trying to say a, a very general van, and this broke down in our communication. My wife was busy actually doing the pertinent paperwork, uh, like, you know, wheeling and dealing <laughs> and signing documents. So right. I was left uh, on my own, like, Japanese devices to actually have this conversation. And mm. it came down to a general van versus specific van. And mm. that's why I thought that Honda made no vans. Gotcha. It's weird. It's like A versus the or something is what it hinged on. And, uh, so that was I, the wa versus ga, something like that. Yeah, I probably <laughs> slipped in a ga or should have said a wa. I don't know how it works, and my Japanese is not good enough. But that was a really good example of a tiny, tiny like a an article or something that's wrong. Right. And then you've got a wildly different perception of what the truth mm. is, and uh, that's why Japanese is hard, everybody. Truth. Now that I've paid my penance and. Uh, thoroughly shamed myself with retractions we can get into segment time so today we're going to talk about the 100 days ceremony which little nico just went through right yes we did all this yesterday i think officially by our count he's 100 days today but there's another way of counting that makes him 100 days tomorrow or yesterday i don't know you know the counting of days is a bit strange like is yeah. his date of birth day one or is that day zero and so right. on and so forth. So uh, it, within a few days, we're at 100 days right now. Hmm. And uh, so the big thing is there's a little, um, there's a shrine visit. We went to a shrine. Nice. Uh, there was some officiant there and he, you know, it took maybe 10 minutes in the shrine. There was a hmm. lot of standing up and sitting down. They would have <laughs> us rise for uh, 15 seconds and sit for the next 15 seconds over and over again, uh, the officiant, who I guess is a monk or a priest, I don't know what you call him exactly, he waved some folded paper on a stick in front of us. Uh, a woman came out and mm. she rang some like little jingle bells. You know, She had like a lot of small <laughs> bells on another stick and waved those around. There was the beating of a taiko drum. There was a lot uh. of chanting that I didn't understand. 
uh, I always feel bad because in a in a chant at a temple or a shrine, they put your name into it. They you know personalize it, and usually <laughs> they have to say like Yamamoto. But in my case, it's Uwitingahiru, and <laughs> they just can't help but stumble over it. And in a chant, you really got to be on beat. You know, it's a chant yeah. for Christ's sake. Yeah. So there was a moment, just a slight hesitation, and I bet he was like, Ah, come on. He's probably kicking himself, but he did pretty well. He got through the Whitting Hill part. Anyway, long katakana name into a chant, and then we left uh, the shrine. But we were at Oyama Jinja, which is kind of like hmm. the central, like the uh, flagship shrine of Kanazawa, I might say. It's right in the middle of town. I'm surprised you did it at that one. Yeah, we talked about doing it at a more local place, but uh, it's just so well-kempt and so nice. It gives the best photographs. And yeah, it does. We hired a photographer and uh, oh. he came down. So this was uh, unconnected to the ceremony, actually. It was after the ceremony, but we just walked around the grounds of Oyama Jinja and had a photographer follow us for an hour. He was a great photographer, like, you know, telling us, okay, now walk this way, now look over your shoulder, now hold the baby in this hand, touch the baby with the other oh, hand, okay. like, so on and so forth. I was he expecting really, like your last experience. Yeah, this was the <laughs> counterpoint to that. He really directed us. We had the grandparents, so we had the parents, we had the baby. So there were five uh, variables yeah. here. He got all the combos, all the different locations, all the poses. It was really good. good. So we were happy with that. And he showed us some pictures right after. They looked pretty solid. So there were photographs for an hour. And then after that, we went back to the grandparents' house. And this is the big part of the 100-day ceremony called the Okuizome. Mm. And uh, Okuizome means first eating What's interesting to me about this is you might think, okay, 100 days, that's three months and a bit, which is like three months before babies should be eating anything. Right. So why would you do the okuizome at this phase? But that's what's done. And the trick is you don't actually feed the baby anything at the first eating. Mm. You mimic the feeding of the baby. You sort of hold things up to his mouth and then take photos and... Uh, it's all very, very symbolic. So even the eating itself is symbolic. He's not actually eating, but just pretending to eat. Mm. Uh, so there's quite a spread. I mean, there's a table full of stuff in front of the baby to pretend to eat. And everything has its own symbolism. And I thought this could be a little bit of a quiz for oh. old Mark. Great. I will tell you a food stuff that okay. is traditionally eaten at the Okuizome ceremony and uh you can tell me what you think it stands for everything okay. has a deep significance okay, so the the main event main course is sea bream which is that really big fish uh i mean this mm. one was like as big as the baby it's a red fish with jagged teeth a very spiny like ridge up the back massive it was on a platter and uh sea bream in japanese is called tai right. and uh at one point uh, the tradition, by the way, is that the oldest person in attendance at the ceremony who is of the same sex as the baby would then feed the baby. In our case, we have a son, so it was his grandfather, like the oldest man in attendance, then feeds the baby or pretends to. Uh, hmm. So he dug into this huge fish. I mean, like picture like Thanksgiving dinner turkey on a platter, like the fish version of that. Uh, hmm. He dug into it, picked up some fish, held it up to the baby's mouth. We took a photo. That was Thai. So what do you think this big red fish called Thai is symbolic of? Man, I mean, it's Japan, so it could be symbolic of 
like literally anything. <laughs> yeah, fish like symbolizes everything here. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like the main thing. Does the grandfather feed him everything, or is it just this one thing? Uh, everything. We go through them oh, one okay. by one. Yeah. Okay, so that's not related to this food specifically. Well, I think the uh, the correct answer here is, you know, cannibalism. And he's eating <laughs> yeah. his own essence because the fish is red and the baby is Akachan. Oh, man, that's a really good guess. I mean, it's horrific, but <laughs> connect the red colors. That's really great. Uh and also the fish is the same size as the baby. So, right. like, you know, he's taken down his competition. Right. This one, it's actually a lot lighter. It's, oh, um, okay. <laughs> and this is a play on words. This is quite tough, actually. It's Thai is the name of the fish. And it's a reference to omede Thai, which is an adjective that means celebratory. So uh, I'm sure you've heard Omerito is congratulations. Omede Thai is like a congratulatory or celebratory thing. Yeah. And it's got tie right there at the end, so you feed the kid a tie. Of course you do. Yeah. Yep. I mean, that was my second guess. Makes perfect sense. And yep. that type of fish is also known to live quite a long time, so longevity is kind of thrown in there as well. Oh, okay. So nothing to do with death at all. Yeah, not death. Man, <laughs> but, I got that uh, way wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Next up, uh, it was red beans and rice, which is called sekihan. Uh, this is... You know, you'll see this at New Year's. Uh, it's just a traditional sort of food at a holiday time. You know what? I'm not even going to quiz this one up because it's just a celebratory food. You see it at holidays all the time. So if you're going to have rice, make it red beans and rice. And it's a like the next level. It's a bit happier and more okay. holiday centered. Okay, that makes sense. Basic good luck, red beans and rice. Mm. The next one, this is symbolic. Uh, it's carrots and daikon pickled and cut into like thin strips and they're mixed together. So it's like a lot of strips of carrots and daikon. These were held up in front of the baby. What do they symbolize? Well, anything pickled, I think of trying to toughen up the liver for Mm. drinking when he's older. (laughs) So symbolizing a healthy liver. High alcohol tolerance. Yes. A very good guess. Uh, This one blew me away. Uh, The, um, the daikon is white, right? right? The carrots are orange. So this orange-white combo is meant to look close enough to red and white, which are the Japanese colors, you know, red and white. Mm. And they are uh, sort of the common, like, celebratory colors or good luck colors or something. Oh, okay. And I was like, you couldn't find a single red vegetable. Like, you go with the carrots, notably the orangest vegetable. Right. I mean, get a, get a red piemon in there. Some strips of red Pimon, pickle that. You got red and white. Did they have Pimon like red back then? Or was that is that all imported? I don't know. That's a good question. So, the, the, I mean, a carrot was probably the reddest thing people grew. Yeah. Maybe uh, you get a tomato. Is that a vegetable? I, I bet it would was a pickle. Fruit. I don't know. <laughs> it's all a, pickled, a pickled tomato? A pickled well, uh, just wait. Pickled tomato is not the worst thing on this list. There are some, oh, there are some okay. wild things coming. Not to say the list is bad. The foods were all good, but there are some wild stuff coming up on this list. Okay. Pickled carrots and daikon, red and white-ish, and that sort of celebratory and good lucky. Also, they're cut into strips, which looks like sort of you know long strings or threads or something. And you know how you see a fancy envelope 
in Japan. It's always got like oh, right. the elaborate knots on it. And right. those like uh, series of strings are sort of celebratory or they wrap up an envelope that you would give with cash in it or something like that. Mm. So it's meant to look like that. Nice. Next up, there were some steamed vegetables, kind of mixed vegetables. The main event in that little dish was the takenoko or the bamboo shoot. Mm. So of all the steamed vegetables in a bowl, the grandfather picked up one strip of takenoko, pretended to feed it to the baby. What does the takenoko symbolize? Growing up strong. Ding, 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 ding. You got it, buddy. Oh, That's yeah? That's exactly right. Yeah, strong oh, growth. Nice. That's what I have in my notes here. Uh, the bamboo grows like a weed. I think it is a mm-hmm. weed. I don't know. It's a weed around here. Absolutely. So um, you feed him some takenoko so that he'll grow up nice and strong. Nice. The next thing was a clam soup, a clam soup. And this one, I think he actually ate a little bit of. They spooned some of the soup and there was a bit of the liquid and he actually got that one in his system. Wow. And there were a couple of clams in there. What does the clam soup symbolize? Uh, Being parasite resistant, I think. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. uh, That's very (laughs) forward looking as an old tradition. (laughs) worried about parasites uh (laughs) clam soup funnily enough is it's about two things one is to find a good spouse because the (laughs) clam it's got the clam has the two halves of a shell that come together and meet and these two these two clam shell halves meeting and joining strongly symbolizes a good relationship in the future okay interesting (laughs) so that's why clam means spouse everybody uh the other thing that it symbolizes is that a clam you know closes its mouth quite tightly or the two i I say mouth it closes its two halves tightly together Mm. and that represents like a baby's mouth having great suction on the breastfeeding or the bottle so it's like a general Mm. like get through your babyhood and get enough nutrition and be a strong baby so find a good spouse yeah, and find a good spouse later. <laughs> like claims pulling double duty there. Next up on the list, umeboshi. The umeboshi is a classic Japanese food. It's a very sour pickled plum. Mm. And um, it's uh, it's insane if you were to put a whole umeboshi in your mouth. I mean, it would knock you down. Uh, so the umeboshi, a bit of that was picked up, fed to the baby. What does it symbolize? Uh, I think this symbolizes torture. <laughs> getting through Resistance. the getting through the kid's first torture and making him more resistant to it in the future. Yeah, so he will not spill state secrets no matter what's done. Right. Because he survived Umeboshi. <laughs> it's a valid guess. Absolutely valid guess. Uh it's for longevity. For a couple of reasons. One is that an umeboshi pickled stays good for quite a long time. So it's a food that lasts for a while. That's subjective. Staying <laughs> yeah, good. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's like Jerry Seinfeld said about the Pop-Tarts. Um, <laughs> it never goes stale, but it was never fresh. <laughs> uh, umeboshi is also very wrinkly. And mm. wrinkly, naturally, you want your kid to live a good long life and become wrinkly himself. Mm. So they feed him a bit of umeboshi. This is the last item on the list, and this is the straight-up crazy one. This is just rocks. Oh. They're in a dish on the table. There are rocks in a dish, stones. They're not, mm. like, edible in any way. Take them out of the garden, rocks. So what okay. do the rocks symbolize when you feed them to a baby? 
Well, I mean, it's a rock, so obviously they want him to grow up to be a musician and rock. <laughs> they want him to rock. <laughs> Traditionally, that's what they've always hoped for. <laughs> yeah. When this uh, tradition was established hundreds of years ago, <laughs> the Japanese were thinking, this kid better rock. This kid better rock. <laughs> they had their katakana puns firing on all cylinders hundreds of years before these things were invented. The rocks are for uh, strong teeth, obviously. Obviously. My wife told me that it's so that the teeth will, when they come in, they will be strong as rocks. Hmm. Since those teeth had a little rock experience early on. Hmm. Uh, also, it's more generally so that the kid could always be able to eat anything, which means you won't have trouble getting food, which sort of translates into you won't be poor. You know, you always have food at hand. Right. So you won't starve. You'll have teeth strong as rocks and you can always find something to eat. Because you can chew bark of a tree and be happy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so the Okuizome, uh, the first eating... Nothing was eaten. Maybe a little, a little bit of clam soup mm. got down the old gullet, but everything else was just sort of held up. The rocks were actually tapped with the chopsticks, and then the empty chopsticks were held up in front of the baby. Oh, you didn't actually pick up the rock and yeah, oh, the rock was was washed clean, but then it was only tapped, and then uh, yeah, chopsticks were presented to the baby. So I think the spirit of the rock was transmitted. <laughs> Funnily, too, the day before, my wife went out to the yard and found some candidate rocks and brought them in. And then we sort of, or she washed them off and we took the best looking rock for the ceremony. And at the shrine in the morning, they handed us a little envelope and what was inside, but a nice rock. So they knew that that ceremony was coming up and they gave us a professional rock to then feed to the baby was it a better looking rock oh judgment call really um i mean <laughs> beauty's in the eye of the boulder <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh that's an early dad joke there early dad joke. <laughs> stumbled upon it um we found a, a sort of black rock out in the yard they gave us like a, a white rock so we had the two options um they sat side by side uh symbolizing racial harmony if i might add my own symbolism nice. to uh, to the dinner. <laughs> um, yeah, so they were both fine rocks, though. Clean, polished. And that's the first eating ceremony that'll happen at 100 days. Uh, it was quite an experience. Okay, that's good to know. I'm halfway there, and uh, yeah. we'll be going through that in a, in a month or so, I guess. Oh, yeah. So I know in the past you've said that uh, you guys didn't get on board for every single shrine visit or ceremony. But mm. this is one you'll definitely be doing, the 100 days. I don't know if it's definite, but it's in consideration for sure. Episode 30-something, we'll let you know. We got some nice uh, dishes as well for it. Um, my grandmother from the U.S. bought some fancy wooden dishes off of our baby registry, and we used those. So we had the the U.S. great-grandmother, actually. Her oh, dishes cool. were involved. So it's a nice opportunity because there are a lot of elements you have a lot of people, you know, mm. this person feeds the baby, this person holds the baby, dishes from this person, a rock from over here, somebody yeah. cooks the meal. So it ties in a lot of elements together and everything's so symbolic too. I think it'll depend. Moe's family isn't that much of like shrine goers and we don't do a lot of that stuff except for like New Year's. Mm -hmm. So we'll see if they want to do it because it sounds like it's kind of a 
multi-generational thing like the grandparents would almost essentially need to be there to do it probably i think it works best that way and uh, my wife pointed out that it has a real thanksgiving vibe because you rarely Mm -hmm. see such a massive platter with a huge protein or a main or whatever this one being the fish uh and then afterward you've got all this food so then the family all sits around and eats it and so much has been cooked because it has to look good for the pictures. You know, it's like a Thanksgiving spread, but in a Japanese way. So there's a big meal as well. So yeah, probably get the extended family in for it. It sounds nice, but we'll see. I think that's it for segment time. What do we do next? Uh, my question for you time. Let's go for it. Okay. I actually have a, a, my question for you is this week. Do you think Nico is the best looking baby you've ever seen? (laughs) Oh, that's a good question. I absolutely do. And as you said, I try to, you know, put bias out the window. Bias, leave the room. We're just talking objective facts now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Like you and probably all parents do this. There's no escaping that bias, but there are little things about him like mm. you notice they're different than other babies and you're, you're just like, well, that's what makes him the cutest is he does have that little difference or whatever. And right. I notice that I think about it and um, I have, uh, I've reached out to people to confirm or deny it as well. I mean, I, I just, I want some confirmation on this <laughs> because he seems to be the cutest guy around. So now you have parenting bias and confirmation bias. Yeah, exactly. I just pile up my bias. <laughs> Have you have you asked Ayumi about this? Do you know if you guys are on the same page? We talk about it pretty frequently. I mean, we say like, um, not only, which I've said many times before, not only are we so lucky in that there are the thousand things that could be physically or, you know, sort mm. of like illness-wise or whatever that could be wrong with the baby, just problems you'd have to overcome. And then you've won the lottery if you get out without any of those troubles that you have to worry about. So we feel like we won the lottery. And then on top of that, we're like, and we got the cutest child imaginable, Mm. conceivable, one might say. Uh, We got just (laughs) the cutest child (laughs) of all available children. And it's like, what did we do to deserve this? This is amazing. It's amazing. Mm. So we do really feel that strongly. And one thing to back me up, my grandmother, the child's great grandmother is on the family album app and she has five great grandchildren now most of them on this app and she sees photos of them every day and she Mm. captioned one of you can comment on that app uh there was a photo of nico and the great grandmother wrote he is the cutest one (laughs) (laughs) in full view of my siblings and cousins who have given her other other great grandchildren (laughs) so then uh Paul Harvey style. Now for the rest of the story, we were on the phone with the great grandmother this morning. And she said um, that she says that whenever she sees any of her great grandchildren, (laughs) it's her policy to say, this is the cutest one. So we just weren't aware of it, but apparently she slaps that comment down on everybody's picture. And she says it in person to all of her grandchildren, all of her great grandchildren all of the time. What a floozy. Yeah. <laughs> and my uh, my aunt told her uh, once when she caught her red handed saying, you know, back to back that this kid's the cutest one and that kid's the cutest one. She said, you're just lying. <laughs> and my, 
my grandmother said, no, that's my policy. I call them all the cutest one. It could just be like at that time, you're like, oh man, right now you're the cutest one. Yeah. Because it's always going. Yeah. She quickly updates when the next kid shows up. So we had confirmation there for a second from somebody with experience with all five of the great grandkids. Hmm. I heard I had it verified that he was the cutest, and then I had that taken away. So I'm kind of back to square one today. I don't know. You still have that written proof. Yeah, it's in in writing, and I'll print that off, and uh, (laughs) I'll get it notarized, and it'll be there forever. So I turn the same question to you. Do you have Mm. the the same vibe about Coda? I think he's definitely the best-looking baby I've ever seen. Yeah. He's the cutest little boy in the world, for sure. Yes. It's crazy, right? It's pretty crazy, and I'm pretty realistic when it comes to, I think, uh, other people's kids. Like, I'll look Mm -hmm. at another kid, I'll be like, okay, that's a cute kid. No, that's not a cute kid. I look at Coda, there's zero I can see wrong with him. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so it's got to be quite a bit of parenting bias, but I just can't see it any other way. I noticed um, this is maybe just only half related to this, but... I noticed that I got really comfortable with the look of Nico. You know, I see him every day, all day long. And Mm. then it's like with anyone, you stop, you don't notice the features as much, but you just take in that person and you're just, you have their face etched into your mind. Mm. And so then in my mind, I was thinking, okay, Nico equals baby. This is what babies look like. But then (laughs) we go to the pediatrician's office and you see a lineup of other kids And then with our kid being biracial, I was like, oh, he looks a lot different than other kids. Yeah. And um, I I noticed that uh, I I had some weird comfort level of just sort of thinking this is what kids look like. Mm. And then I I realized after seeing a lot of other babies that, oh, no, this is not what kids look like. And uh, this guy's like, not only does he have his own look entirely, but it's also the cutest look. And I immediately dismissed just a literal lineup of other babies as inferior. Yeah. In any, in any room, he's the best looking kid, obviously. Yeah. But uh, that's, it has been a weird thing. You always hear about it and then you experience it. And then it's like, oh, that's true. Every parent thinks their kid's the cutest. I, I think your kid is very cute though. And likewise, Coda's cute, but you know, don't push me. No, no, no. <laughs> Let's not go head to head in public like this. This, is, this isn't a battle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's even to the point, this is ludicrous, but I think his only fault is that he's actually too cute. It's like, come on, man. What are you doing? You're going to make other people feel bad. Like, just reel it in a little bit. You want to ugly him up a bit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. Good question. You got some Japanese of the day for us? Yes, indeed. Uh, We've talked about this in the last few episodes, but it is vaccine time for these babies. Um, There's a vaccine Mm. schedule that you have to keep up with, and it's essentially every month. I mean, there's another shot you can do. But I thought uh, to talk about the these childhood vaccines, there's a good word for it. I'm sure we're all used to coronavirus vaccines, in which case the main word is wakuchin, you know. Mm. Uh, But the word specifically for the kids inoculation and maybe other inoculations, too, I'm not sure. But the one that you'll hear is yobo seishu, Hmm. yobo seishu. 
and uh, it's for kanji. I like to break down the kanji to get a sense of, you know, the meaning that's being communicated there. The yo is pretty common one that means like before or preliminary. The um, bo is prevention. So obviously this is a preliminary prevention. And then the seishu is interesting. The se means contact and the shu means seed. So hmm. I guess in a vague way, it's um, the seed of the contact with the the virus that you're getting a little yeah. bit of exposure to, and it is for preliminary prevention purposes. Hmm. Anyway, yobo seishu, you'll be hearing that every month for the next you know year or two. Yeah, we got I think two weeks. We got some more some more shots coming up, so I'll hear that quite a bit. Are you dreading it? No, no. I don't have to get the shot. <laughs> uh, always looking out for old number one, eh? That's right. I'm doing wow. fine over here. Yeah. Yeah, I was dreading it, but he handled his second shot or second round of shots like such a boss, you know? Mm. Needle's in, he's crying, needle comes out, he's fine again. And within 30 seconds, he's just looking at a toy and being silly. Yeah. So uh, that really uh, took away a lot of the guilty feeling that I have of exposing him to this like horrible pain. You know, mm-hmm. it's over it so quickly that it's no big deal. Yeah, I think so. Coda's not too bad with that stuff, so I think it'll be a nice, quick experience for him. Good. We've got dad joke time. If you've got dad jokes, we've got time I've for them. Got some. Do you have any this week? Yes, sir. How many dad jokes do you got? I've got three today. I also have three. Would you like to start? Yes, I will do the honors uh, first. I'm a big Sopranos fan. Greatest TV show in television history. So, um, who is Tony Soprano's favorite wizard? Gandalf. (laughs) Oh, Gandolfini. Oh, I knew there was a play on it there. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty good. (laughs) What do you got, Dad Joe Wise? If April showers bring May flowers, what do May flowers bring? Mm, June bugs? Pilgrims. <laughs> oh, man. I like June bugs. <laughs> Keeps the flow. Uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> oh, that Pilgrims is better. The reversal of expectations. Uh, okay. Why should you always be careful near trees? They bark but don't bite. Hmm, good guess. It's because they can be pretty shady. (laughs) The simple ones. Shady ass trees. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. What has hands but can't clap? Uh, Clock. Ah, Yeah, that was pretty easy. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's some Bazooka Joe level dad joke right there. Yeah, these are for kids. Oh, Sopranos level here. Yeah, they're very practical dad jokes then. Um, I like this one. This is just a one-liner. It says, I used to be addicted to the hokey pokey, but then I turned myself around. (laughs) It's so stupid. It's pretty stupid. I love it. Close us out with this one. What has four wheels and flies? Mm, A garbage truck. Son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they are kid level, so. Yeah, that's how I can wrap my mind around them. I think that uh, that does us for today. Thank you for listening. We hope this week's episode was informative and interesting. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us either on Twitter at JPopsPodcast or by email at info at thejpops.com. 
Talk to you next time. Pizza time. <laughs> <laughs>